Silks. This is the Spectacularials Podcast. So great to have you today. Go ahead and check the show notes for the free mini course by Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Super easy to register for the free student portal. Check me out there if you're interested. Today, I have Chrissy Benson from New Hampshire. She is an aerialist. She's been in her practice for over 10 years. And she lives there with her husband and her two beautiful kids. And today we're going to talk about her V-back. I had been looking for a V-back story and just hadn't come across anybody. Saw her on the Aero Mamas Facebook group and invited her on. She had a cesarean for her first. And for her second, she really, really wanted to have a vaginal birth. And she talks about the process of why she wanted it and how she got there. And we go into a bunch of other stuff about her hip surgery. And it's a great story for you guys. I think you're going to relate to a lot of it, resonate with a lot of it. Anyways, I'm so excited for you guys to be here today. Let's get started. So Chrissy... If you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what's your family's like, how long you've been in your aerial practice. Uh, yeah, just, we would just want to get to know you. Okay. Um, so my name is Chrissy. Um, I live in New Hampshire with my husband, Nick, and our two sons, Weston and Wilder. And Weston is four and Wilder will be two next month in November. I and love those names, by the way. Such oh, good names. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and we also have a little dog named Spartacus. He's 15 pounds. So it's a, you know, it's a big name for a little dog. Oh my gosh. Spartacus is amazing too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, I've been, I've been coaching Ariel, but mostly fabric for, for about, I guess, nine, nine, eight years now, eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a lot. Yeah. I started coaching when I was, let's see how old was I, I was 24. And, um, I've been training since I was about 19. So I, oh my gosh, how long? 11, 12, 12 years. Wow. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's been, um, I had, yeah, I had to, I had to take a couple breaks. I had, a labrum repair in my, in my left hip when I, years ago. So I had to kind of take a break there. And then obviously with, with both my, both my boys, I had to take some time off for hip surgery. After my first, I wasn't, I didn't have the availability to coach as often as I was. So I cut back on a lot of the classes that I was teaching and shifted my focus a lot more on being a, being a mom. And then, and actually in, in the time between the, when my kids were born, I became a certified um, birth doula as well. And that has kind of taken its own path and experiences and created a a whole other journey in my life. I actually am like just personally interested in this labrum situation with your hip to start off because how did you, was it like an event that you knew or were you just like having a nagging chronic pain? I grew up competitively dancing and all of a sudden 
one day I was doing a kick line. That's when it really started hurting, but it had been kind of bugging me for a while. Had gone to see an orthopedic and he diagnosed me with developmental hip dysplasia. What? Yes, which I never, which I never knew I had. He told me that it would actually be better for me to go to Boston Children's Hospital because it was a developmental thing. Okay, explain it. I think I know what you're talking about, but explain it to our listeners. So my hip sockets, where my femoral head sits, is more open than it should be. So my femoral head kind of moves around in my in my hip socket more than it should. So yeah, so the developmental part is that it never finished kind of closing in over my femoral head. They're actually not sure if it was caused by an injury or if it's caused by how that bone is moving inside. And they told me that time will tell. It it will either happen again or, or maybe it was an injury and hopefully it won't. Okay, so how old are you when you were doing this kick line dance? 23. Okay, so was it just basically that the head of the femur had like way too much room to move around and start tearing stuff around it? Yeah, they think it was kind of rubbing rubbing on it and made, maybe kind of wore through it. Okay. So that's actually a, around that time is when I really shifted my focus to aerial arts because it was much more low impact on my body. I wasn't, you know, slamming onto the floor all the time and, and it just felt better for me. It just felt better on my body. And, and I pretty much stopped dancing after that. Okay. Well, it's really funny because aerial is not easy on the body, but it is less weight bearing on your feet and your hips. Yeah. It feels, it feels better for, for my body personally. Yeah. It's so interesting because like to hear somebody say, oh, I stopped dancing to go to aerial because it's easier on my body. It makes me laugh and giggle, but it's absolutely true. Like my dance career, because I'm in the commercial dance world, we're in heels all the time. Right. I was so broken. People ask me if I start to feel my age now. I'm like, I feel much better. 10 years ago, I was dancing a lot more. I felt terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. hard. It's yeah. really hard what it, what it, what it does in a short, short period of time. Yeah. And then the shows that I happened to be doing had like 150 head rolls in it per show. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing I, my neck, my poor neck just got whipped around. Like it, it got really strong too, but like now I, it's like impenetrable in a massage. You know what I'm saying? Like dancing's really hard on the body. Oh yeah, I'm sure your chiropractor loves you too. Oh, my chiropractor's like, (laughs) like I would get an adjustment and then I would go do the show and it would be like, okay, well, you're, you're just making, you know, like my chiropractor is going to have a job for the rest of his life because of me, but yeah, well, yeah, they always tell you to rest. They're like, after the adjustment, take it easy for a little. No, but the show's the next day. You don't have any choice. (laughs) Right. Of course. Right. I had a student at the age of 17 who found out, sorry, she was 16, that her femoral head, both of them were not like round. They were like oval. Oh. And they just started ripping at all the ligaments. Oof. Oof. That sounds funny. Yeah. Yeah. And she was stretching like as like, she was like practicing contortion, practicing aerial. Mm -hmm. And then she had to get both, both hips shaved down. 
Yeah. That's- Both heads shaved down. Crazy. Yes, that is, that is. Yeah, especially so young. So young before even going to college. So in a way, it's great because you have all that. You're young and your body can bounce back, but then it, it sucks. But labrum tears are such a thing in our industry. Yes. Actually, my my best friend, who's also an aerialist and a professional dancer, just had her labrum surgery six weeks ago. And, and she said that her doctor told her that almost all of the surgery that he does are on dancers and hockey players, I think is what. Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of makes sense. Oh my goodness. So I I'm very personally curious because my hips giving me a lot of problems. I thought it was getting better. And then the doctor says, go get an x-ray. I'm like, okay, the x-ray is not going to show anything because it's soft tissue in my, in my brain. Mm -hmm. And then it comes back with two abnormalities. Oh, so this just happened and I get to wait two whole weeks to go see an ortho because that's how the medical system works. And I have to just wait until my appointment. I'm not too worried about it, but it's like, if it's bone, I'm like, what's in there? Anyways, it's very interesting to me. I will cut this out of the podcast. No one fucking cares. Okay. (laughs) Okay. No one fucking cares about my my hip. I I don't know if you listen to the podcast, but I will whine about my own pain every single, every week. I have, I have been listening. Yeah. I I, I was pretty nervous. (laughs) So I was like, I I, I should probably listen to some of these before before I get into this. (laughs) Uh, Everybody's nervous, but it's, it's not, it's so easy. Um, Yeah. So I, I will erase my repetitiveness of whining, because that's what I like to do. <laughs> so you are, you're pretty deep into your arrow practice. I always am surprised when people say they have 10 to 20, 10 to 15 years of experience, just because it wasn't a thing 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. You, you know, it was around, obviously. Circus has been around for a long time, but mainstream you don't find that a lot because it just wasn't a thing that people did. So my coaches, um, the first coaches that I had, they were, they were in the very first teacher training that the new England center for circus arts ever did. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends now who just had the hip surgery, I told you about her and her mom, her mom did the training together. And, um, were my first coaches and she had done the aerial program at UNH. And that was really the only thing around at the time. So I, I did, I kind of started it before, before everyone knew what, what it was. (laughs) Yeah. And I now talking about this friend of yours, I should probably have her on too. She sounds like she's perfect for this as well. Oh yeah. She's great. And she was my, and she was my birth doula when I had my V back. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's, you know, you kind of started before this whole like wave, but what makes me happy is that sometimes I think to myself, this is just like a phase that the world is going through and it's not going to be around in a couple of years. And I feel like that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like that too. I feel like people are just getting more interested. The studios that are open that made it through COVID are packed. Oh yeah. We have, I mean, our wait lists, I have wait lists on almost all of my classes. I had someone trying to sign up and, um, I was like, okay, well the next available class for that level is two months from now. Oh man. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been really busy, but it's been, 
it's been great. It's, I feel like it's been a really wonderful outlet for a lot of, a lot of people right now. Yeah. And people just, they come in and they just get completely their ass kicked and they love it. Yes. Yeah, they do. They do. <laughs> Cause it's efficient if you want to get in shape. I mean, that's the way I feel about it. Like there's nothing like Ariel to get me in shape. Cause I'm also not the type to go into a gym and like do a bunch of reps. Yep. I'm so bored with that. Like I, I won't even go. Yep. I, I feel like that too. I, I have um, some, some people that take my classes that talk about how they went running or this or that, or they're doing CrossFit. And I'm like, that is not my thing. I'm not doing extra exercise. <laughs> like I really love doing Ariel because I love doing it and it's fun. And the progress is really tangible Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially with coaching, it, it's really rewarding to see um, somebody try a skill one week and, and they can't do it or they're really close. And then the next week they can do it almost effortlessly. And it's, it's almost selfishly rewarding for me to, to see that happen with them and how excited they get. And the other people in the class clapping for them, knowing how hard they worked for it. And it's, I really love being able to see that such tangible progress like that. Yeah. And that also is like big shout out to like how responsive the nervous system is. Yeah. Because it's not just you build muscle over a week. It's that your body learned how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Over that time. And it's so incredibly interesting. Yes. Yeah. It's its own own science. I found Chrissy on the Ariel Mamas Facebook group, which is just a treasure chest of of like guests for me because I've wanted to find a VBAC story for a long time. And I just hadn't, no one had mentioned it, whatever. I don't know where it says in your situation that you had a VBAC, but I was like, oh, Chrissy, I need to get you on here. <laughs> Number one, assume people don't know what VBAC is. Can you explain what it is? Yeah. Um. So, so pretty simply a VBAC is a vaginal birth after a cesarean. To, and sometimes you have to fight for it a little bit. It's it's uh, the whole situation and everything kind of leading into it isn't always so cut and dry. For the most part, would you say that it is true that most OBGYNs like don't want to do it? So in my experience, it's not so much that most OBGYNs don't want to do it, but it's that they put restrictions on the person where it's, it will not be favorable. Like they'll, they'll have restrictions that say, sure, you can, you can have a VBAC as long as you go into labor on your own by 39 weeks, you know, as, as long as we'll, or we'll let you go to 40 weeks, but we won't use any Pitocin or as long as your baby isn't measuring large. Mm, Okay. Kind of, they'll say those things that, that are not just, that are just not setting the person up to be successful. So I found that there is a difference between what they call a VBAC tolerant and a VBAC supportive provider. Oh. Yeah. So they, they are different and there, there is a difference. And this is something that they would put on their website type of thing? Or is this something you'd have to like dig to find out? You have to, you'd kind of have to dig to find out. And sometimes it's not so much the, the provider because I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an OBGYN. It could be, it could be a midwife as well. Um, and a lot of times you can just kind of get a feel for it by asking them questions. Say, you know, do you have any time restrictions on me? Does the size of my baby matter? How, 
would you schedule an induction over scheduling a routine cesarean? And, and depending on the answers of those questions, you can usually get a pretty good feel for their feelings on, on it. Or, or if they use like, some of them call it a, a VBAC calculator where they kind of put this information in and give you a percentage chance of what your success rate would probably be. Oh, wow. Generally, providers that use those VBAC calculators are, are not going to be your supportive providers. They'll possibly be the more tolerant providers. <laughs> okay. And so you were pregnant with your second. Mm-hmm. And what was the thought process? So I, I think it, this has to kind of take me back to my to my cesarean first for a second. Oh yes, please, please put the story wherever it needs to be. So, so with my first, I was, um, I was, I was actually planning a home birth, and I had my home, my home birth midwife. She, you know, we had the the pool at the house. We had every everything was ready to go at the house. We had all the hookups for the faucet to fill the pool, and you know, all all those stuff. And I started approaching the 42 week mark and midwives cannot legally deliver babies in New Hampshire once the person goes past 42 weeks or hits 42 weeks. Wow. I have to give you props for being 42 weeks. And like, I I would have, like at 40 weeks, I was like, get this baby out of me now. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I certainly felt like that. The the feelings were not, um, those feelings were certain, were certainly there. Okay. (laughs) But I was really, but I was really scared to go to a hospital because I was really scared to have a cesarean. They told me that I was going to have this huge baby and all of this stuff. So my, my home birth midwife was like, you know, we're, we're kind of approaching that time where it's better, better in than out. Let's, let's transfer your care to this OB that I have a good relationship with. And I think that things will go you know, that things will go okay. So we ended up- Okay, let me let me inter- interrupt you. I'm sorry. So you said you were scared to have a cesarean. Well, really, I wanted to be in the comfort of, of my own home. I didn't, I didn't want a lot of people around me. I, I wanted it to be more of a personal experience instead of so medical. And, mm-hmm. and the idea of being in a fluorescent lit cold- room and having my, you know, for lack of a better term, having my baby cut out of me, um, was, was really something that just was, was really, really scary to me. It was just really scary. (laughs) Yeah. And you just don't, you just didn't want that experience. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I had had friends and luckily, you know, one of my close friends was like, Oh, when I like had my baby, it was like the most amazing experience. I just reached down and I pulled her up onto my chest and, and that just sounded so wonderful to me. And, and I was like, that's what I want too. I want that. Experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I went and I, I got induced and after 38 hours of induction, Ooh. um, he was, and he was doing fine. The, the baby was doing great. Weston, um, they could feel that his head was what they call asynclitic. So it was kind of tilted sideways. Oh, okay. And I was at, I was at seven centimeters and I was at seven centimeters for close to 15 hours. Did, did your water break? Yeah. Well, they actually broke my water at the hospital. Okay. So, so my, my home birth midwife kind of transferred to be my, 
my doula at the time. And, and she was like, you know, we can, we can wait, we can, we can wait more because he's doing okay. But, but I think that the reality is, is that you're probably going to have to have a C-section. And I, I felt like my world crashed down. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. And uh, so, you know, there was lots of crying. There was lots of, it's going to be okay. You're going to meet your baby where, you know, and, and, and her role as a doula in this process was so helpful to me. Um, and so I luckily the, the OR at the hospital that I delivered at allowed my doula in my husband in, it was really calm. They were playing, they were playing music and it was not painful. Like I had experienced and, and they had like a, they have a really great, um, what they call like a, like a family friendly cesarean practice. I was, I was lucky in the way that it it was not an emergency and it wasn't as, it wasn't as scary. First of all, it wasn't as scary as I had imagined that it was going to be. And it was pretty smooth because I have heard of a lot of other stories that are, that can, that are, are, can be, can be really scary. Cesareans can be really scary, especially if they're. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, any surgery, right. any surgery. Right. Yeah. You know, and, um, and I kind of felt after the cesarean, I felt like, okay, about it. And, and we just, I just kind of moved on with my life. I had a pretty uneventful recovery from it. And then, and then all of my other friends who were having babies and, and they would tell me, like, we would all talk about our birth stories and everything. And, and I felt, so, I felt so left out, um, with, with the stories of them talking about like pushing while holding their partner's hands. And like, you know, I don't know. I just, I just felt like I was, I was missing something in my life and that there were things that I didn't get to experience that were really important to me. And, and everyone I knew got to experience it. And I just, I, yeah, it made, it made me feel really sad. And um, yeah, it was, it was hard. It was really hard to, to feel like, that. And, oh. and, and then I, but I, I have other friends who had elective C-sections and they had wonderful experiences. And I'm, I'm so glad that they were, they had that choice that they were able to mm-hmm. choose that. I think that everyone should be able to make choices in their, in their birth story. Um, that, that the relationship between the birthing person and their provider should be a team, not one person telling the other what, what they are and aren't allowed to do or the choices that they can and cannot make. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so then they, t- they told me before they wheeled me into the operating room, they said, you're a great, you're a great candidate for, for a VBAC. So if, if you wait 18 months between this birth and your next birth, you, you would be a great candidate for a VBAC. Um, Awesome. Awesome. So I was like, okay, so then, so yeah, so my, my son was born, he was um, nine pounds, eight ounces. Oh, that is not a small baby. Yeah, And everyone told me, everyone's like, well, no wonder you couldn't push him out. You're so small. And he was so big. And, and I knew, I knew that wasn't it. (laughs) I, I knew that, that I felt like I could do it. Um, Mm. and, and I was like, that's, that's not, that's not why, that's not why. So, well, the head angle was probably the, the yes. why, right? Yeah, he was, also, okay. he was also OP. So he was posterior as well. So he was sunny side up, um, mm. which obviously also plays. So I had, you know, excruciated that can cause 
really bad back labor. It was just, it, there was lots of, the stars just didn't align favorably for me with my first. Mm. So when I got pregnant with my second, the first person I called was my home birth midwife. And, and I said, and I said, what do you think? What do you think about trying this again? And she was like, I don't know. She's like, you don't have to make a decision right now. Um, why don't, why don't we start, start your care and we can kind of talk about the choices that you want to make as we, as we go through this. So, because I, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to try to have my baby at home again, or if I wanted to go with a supportive provider in a hospital. So I, I ended up kind of doing both. So I, the, my first 37 weeks, I did all of my prenatal care with my home birth midwife and she was sending all of my information to the OBGYN office where I would be transferring at 37 weeks. And I would go into that office for ultrasounds and, and things like that. So after I, after I transferred at, at 37 weeks, I I would tell him, I was like, I don't, I don't want to know how big you think my baby is. I just, I actually made an appointment just, just to cry to to the doctor. I was like, I, I, I was like, I was like, I just want to know that, that you believe in me as much as I believe in me. And that even if this ultrasound says that my baby is going to be 14 pounds, I, I, I want to have a VBAC. I want to try my hardest for VBAC. And, and he told me, he's like, I believe in you. He's like, I, I believe that you can do it. He's like, I've seen really, really small people have really, really big babies. And, and I believe that you can do it. And I was like, okay, all right. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> I love it. So I, um, uh, I ended up signing a contract with my home birth midwife to be my doula again. And then also a, a close friend of mine had done her doula training with me and I asked her, if she would be there too. So, you know, 40, 40 weeks came and went and, <laughs> oh. and, uh, so then 41 weeks hit and, and so there's kind of this weird curve. And unless you go through tons and tons and tons of data, it's really hard to find exactly where these curves meet. So, so one says that you are more likely to have a successful VBAC if you go into labor on your own, but your chances of having a successful VBAC also start to decline after 40 weeks. So at, at some point they, they kind of, they kind of meet, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and is that at 41 weeks? Is that where those two curves kind of meet? Uh, you know, you know, I'm not, I don't know. It, like I said, there, there's lots of data kind of for both, but it's, it's really hard to find any information to say, well, when are you, you know, when is it safer or not safer, but when are you more likely to have a successful be back with an induction? It's, it's, it's really hard to find if, if anyone can find it, I, they would be great, but I've, I've seen a lot of discussion about it and, um, like online VBAC forums and nobody really seems to know when that date is. Mm, got it. So, but what I felt like was right for me is right about 41 weeks. And, uh, and I, and I did, a, I, did a, I did a lot more preparation this time. I felt like I had a lot more knowledge about, um, you know, 
optimal fetal positioning. And um, I took a spinning babies workshop and, you know, I kind of learned how to, to turn, turn, I turn in my guess and in my belly. Um, I did a lot of chiropractic work. I did a lot of stretching and miles circuit and massages and, and lots, lots of things to get him in the right spot. Um, I did, I did a lot of prep work into it. So when I got, when I decided to get induced, I, I knew he was in a good position and we went in the morning and, you know, started the Pitocin and everything there would, and there, through the whole labor, there were definitely times where I would get really nervous and be like, it's not, it's not going to happen. What, like, why am I, why am I five centimeters right now? Like, this isn't going to happen. I'm in so much pain. And, and, and I didn't think it was going to happen. And then <laughs> I remember them being like, okay, well, these people are going to come in for when you push your baby out. And I remember looking at my husband and my doulas being like, they think that I'm going to push my baby out. Like they, mm. they think that I'm going to do it. So like, maybe, maybe I'm going to do it. And the doctor came in and checked me and she was like, yeah, like everything seems great. Like your baby, I think it's going to be maybe like seven, seven and a half pounds is my guess. Um, and you know, like, let's do it. So then, you know, I, I pushed for two hours and I, I had a back, and it was, it was amazing. And, and I could see the look on everybody's face though. And, um, and I remember my midwife turned doula later. She was like, yeah, as soon as he came out, I knew that that wasn't a seven pound baby. And, he oh. was, and he was nine pounds, seven ounces. And I did it. <laughs> How did they get that so wrong in the ultrasound? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. I guess it can, it can be off by, they say, is it a pound or two pounds in either direction? So it's uh, okay. That's, like, a, that's kind of a big swing. Yeah. Actually. It, yeah. Well, cause with my first, they told me he was going to be 10 and a half pounds and he was nine and a half pounds. And then they told me from the ultrasound that this was this one would be between seven or eight pounds. And you know, and he was nine and a half too, or almost nine and a half. And, uh, yeah. And it was, okay. Sorry. You didn't have an epidural, right? Did you have an I, epidural? I, I did. I did have an epidural okay. because pit- Pitocin is fire. Pitocin is. No, I, I had Pitocin and I also had an epidural that kind of didn't work half the time. Yeah. That happened. So I, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, with the VBAC, it well, with when I had my cesarean, the the epidural worked great. I was like, wow, this is really comfortable and really pain relieving. And and I did not have the same experience with the epidural. They had to do it twice, and there was like big windows on different sides of my body. And um, yeah, I was still in a lot of pain. And then kind of right before I was pushing, I was, <laughs> I was kind of. I had made the decision I, I wanted to not be in as much pain, right? So then all of a sudden I'm kicking, kicking my feet and like lifting them in the air and wiggling them around. I was like, am I, am I supposed to be able to do this? I was like, I feel like I can just feel everything again. Am, am I supposed to be able to move my legs like this? And uh, there, and my, and my midwife was like, yeah, no, it's going to be great because you're going to feel when you, when you need to push. And I certainly did. Okay. How, how many centimeters were you dilated by the time you pushed? At 10. They only let you push at 10, right? Right. Yeah. Well, because you can, um, if you're not, if you're not 10 centimeters and you're, and you're pushing, it can swell your cervix. 
And mm. then, I mean, then you're actually in, in a way re- reverse dilating, I guess. I mean, I, that's definitely not the term. That's definitely not like what it, right. You know. But, but from a mechanical standpoint, because if in the first birth that you had, you only got to seven and that's why with plus the head being at the wrong angle, why you had to get your cesarean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay. yeah, you want to be at, at 10 to, to be able to push your baby out. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. Here's my question. Okay. What is from a more educated perspective, because I'm just looking at it from a mechanical, like common sense perspective, but what are the risks with the VBAC? Because obviously you've been cut open and then healed back, Mm -hmm. but is the risk the most obvious thing that you're going to tear at those incision points? Is that yeah, so so um, what they're worried about? Yeah, so a lot of you know a lot of people are nervous about about uterine rupture, and it's it's actually really really low. I was I was reading a, a statistic that a a a person having a VBAC is at the same risk of rupture as somebody that had not had. AV back on Pitocin. Mm, and so what about the Pitocin? Yeah. So, so Pitocin does, um, when you're having a VBAC, Pitocin does increase your risk of rupture. And sometimes with, with more, you know, VBAC tolerant, they'll say, well, it, it doubles, it doubles your risk of rupture. But what they don't tell you is that what that double is, is really from like, 0.5% to 1%. Oh, I see. So, so yes, it, it doubles, but I mean, it's, you, the risk is still, is still very, very low. Okay. So I like that this is after the fact because you've had your, you've had your successful VBAC. What does an unsuccessful VBAC look like? Um, so, so, well, so I actually don't love the term unsuccessful. Like, I don't know. I, okay. What, is there a medical term <laughs> for it though? Yeah. They, so they, they would call it, they would probably call it a failed TOLAC. So a TOLAC is a trial of labor after a cesarean. Uh, and then okay. once it's actually given the birth, it's, or it's, uh, then it's a vaginal birth after a cesarean. So they would, yeah, they would probably call it a failed trial of labor. Okay. Okay. So, so a lot of times, I mean, that, that can look a, a lot of different ways. I mean, the same thing that happened to me with my first could have happened to me with my second. I could have stalled at seven centimeters and been stuck there or, or there's, you know, the potential that the baby could not be handling the Pitocin very well. And it could, um, you know, slow their heart rate or the contractions could be too much, or, you know, in the event that there's a uterine rupture, you know, that there would be need to be an emergency cesarean or, um, yeah, I mean, it could pretty much look, it could pretty much look how, how anybody's unplanned cesarean goes. Certainly a personal decision. You kind of have to weigh, weigh some of the pros and, and cons because there, because then you have to think about, well, what are the pros of having a VBAC, right? Like what are, what are the reasons why you would want to do that over having a repeat cesarean? You have less risk of bleeding, 
less risk of damage to your, um, your bladder or any of kind of the surrounding organs in there. And then the most obvious, the most obvious is that you don't have to recover again too. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I definitely know people and I've had friends that, that have had really, really hard, um, recoveries from a vaginal birth, but, but generally that's, that's, it's pretty rare. Um, you know, for, for people that, you know, have had like fourth degree tearing or, yes. or something like that. Um, but, but yeah, that was, that was kind of something for me. I was like, man, I have a, I have a two-year-old at home. If I need to cover from a cesarean and I can't, I can't pick him up and I can't lay on my side and I can't do all of the, all of these things. It's, it's going to be really, really hard to take care of a toddler when, when I go home. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember it was only a one bad week, but like I couldn't cough. You know, I couldn't sneeze. Yeah. So I imagine, you know, my little bean just turned two. I'm not having a second right now, but if I did, like, I mean, you need like all the grandparents or something because you can't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is. It's really hard. I remember that we went to, we went to a wedding 12 days after my first was born. And even, even then I was having, I was having a rough time and you had to walk up like this big flight of stairs to get to the reception. And I was taking them really, really slow still. Um, it was, it was really hard even at 12 days after to, to kind of be moving around. That is like a really good friend or family member that you went to their wedding 12 days after. Oh, oh, they are. Yeah. They're like, okay. they're, like, they're cl- our closest friends. And I just remember being like, we, c- we can't miss it. Like we have to be there. And, and we just, we stayed for dinner and we, we left pretty quick after we didn't, we didn't stay for the whole reception or, or whatnot, but yeah, we, we, we just had to be there. And I did the probably silly thing of showing up at my student's tech rehearsal um, a week after I gave birth and then had a C-section, but it was also because like my parents were staying in my very small two bedroom apartment and I just needed like a little break. Yep. Oh yeah. But I went for an hour and I, when I was driving home, I was like, I've never felt this tired in my life. Like I realized that I didn't have the energy I normally have. You know, I should have known this of course. Yeah. But I was like, whoa, okay. This is why I won't be doing this next week or the week after. It's so exhausting. Well, yeah, well, because when you're, when you're feeling good, you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is great. I can, I can walk around a little bit more. Yeah. I can go do this. I can go do that. And then afterwards, your, your body really feels, really feels it. Yeah. You're like, okay, well, no, we all think that we're super women and we are. Yeah. But our body <laughs> has just gone through this massive thing and we have to, you know, honor that, which I think a lot of us have, you know, we get ahead of ourselves. We really get ahead of ourselves. So, um, so I love your story because what, what I really want to give to our worldwide community is examples of everything happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is an example of a successful VBAC with a, with a woman who's done aerial for over 10 years. And, you know, this is the only way we're going to, I don't know, pass down that, I don't know, not just information, but that wisdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and, and, 
And honestly, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that getting back into training after my VVAC was necessarily easier than after my cesarean. Um, I, I feel like I kind of started going back around the six to seven week mark with, with both. But, um, after, after my cesarean, I remember being like, okay, I can't do this because I have a C-section or this, these are the reasons why I can't, you know, get up into my crossback straddle or why I can't even invert from the ground or do anything. I was like, this, that's why. And, th- and then I had my V-back and I actually, I was actually in a crossback straddle on my due date with, with Wilder, with my V-back. And then when I went back, I couldn't, I just couldn't get myself upside down. It was like, things just didn't work anymore. <laughs> um, so there, there were definitely, there were definitely difficulties in recovery for both the C-section and the V-back and difficulties in getting back to training for both. And, and it's, and sometimes it's, it's hard to compare them. Um, because I, I did, I do think that I had a pretty easy cesarean recovery. So, and I know that not everybody has that experience. I know a lot of people have a lot of numbness and, and things with, with their scars. And, and I did when I would, when I would do certain skills that would kind of like pull my scar for, for the first, probably, yeah, maybe like two years, it, it would hurt. Um, oh, really? I, I don't really feel that. Yeah. I don't feel that anymore. I like, if I was going to do specifically like a half Monty, like, you know, if you, if you wrap your feet and thread through the center of the live ends and fold forward. You also um, call that a half Monty? Yeah. That is so <laughs> Encouraging because every single time I talk to another aerialist on the other side of the world or the other side of the country, their name is different. That is exactly what I call it too. I love it. Yeah. So, so when I would, when I would lean forward, grabbing the tails under my feet, the, the live ends that were at the front of my hips would pull my cesarean scar and, and it would just feel like, oh my gosh, it felt like it was being ripped open all over again for for a, for a while, I mean, long after it was well healed. That's so and, interesting. Uh, I don't have any of that. Yeah, but that's that's really the only skill that I can think of, like when it's when that skin was being like stretched like that. But I didn't have problems with hip balances or 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 really anything else that was touching down there, other than when the scar tissue was being pulled. Okay, so here's a question: Does your do your kids like to step on your pelvis? Because my daughter does like, she, that's a, her favorite place to step is like right above my pu- pubic bone when I'm laying down or sitting. I am completely convinced that she has totally worked my whole scar out. Yeah, you know what? I bet you, I bet you that she has because, because, and that's why I feel like I don't feel it anymore is because I would continue teaching the half Monty because in my head, I was like, well, I'm not injuring myself. I'm not actually tearing the scar open. I'm not actually doing damage. So there's not a real reason, I guess, why I shouldn't continue doing Yeah, I mean, like, you know, loosening up the scar tissue is a good thing. And I was like, oh my God, she's stabbing me with her foot. And then I'm like, I should probably just let her do it. And then now it's like gliding. I don't have any problems with it. 
But I have to tell you, I have to share this because this just happened. So I have this body worker slash chiropractor who does like energetic body work on me. I don't know if you know what this is. I, I don't. <laughs> it's, a, it's like think acupuncture without the needles. Oh, he, he does this, he does this style of body work where he's using his hands, fingers, and I guess the word is trigger points, but it's not even trigger points because Mm -hmm. he's basically mapping. He's got in his brain, a map of the nerves and the nervous system. And he's able to tell things where to go back. Like he can reorganize your guts. Wow. After, after you give birth, he like, I've had IBS my whole life. The first time I went into him through a referral my mm-hmm. my entire sack, my entire fascial sack of my guts was twisted oh, from wow. years of like really bad IBS episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So either it's voodoo magic and it's complete bullshit. I mean, it, sound, it sounds amazing. Or it's completely real, right? So- <laughs> Well, I mean, if, I mean, if it works, that's what matters. Well, right, right, right. So I had been going to him for many, many years to take care of my gut issues because I've, I've had IBS my whole life. So mm-hmm. I just went in on Tuesday because I have this hip issue. And instead of just going at it from one direction, so I got my x-ray and I'm also going to him to see if he can deal with the fascia or if there's an impinged nerve or whatever. So this is what he tells me. So it's just on my right side. He's like, okay, it looks like to me, and he's saying this after just touching me on the outside of my body. He's like, it looks like to me, like you have scar tissue from the birth right or underneath your belly button, shortening the soft tissue in the fascia on the right side. So you have less length over there. It's pulling your hip a little bit. It's pulling the ilium a little bit in. It's squishing this one nerve. And then the joint of the femoral, the femoral joint itself is actually pulling away from the ilium. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's fascinating. Fascinating. So he's like, you also have scar tissue, uterine scar tissue. So he mm-hmm. does this body work on me. It's like, he lays his hands on me. It gets super like hot. Like it feels hot and like electricity. Like, like Reiki kind of, like Reiki feeling. <sighs> I've only had Reiki done once on me successfully and it felt totally different. Okay. So I, I, can't, I can't even tell you, but because I don't really know. Reiki, it felt like energy was just lifting in and out of my chest. That's, that's the one time I felt it successfully and it didn't feel the same. Which by the way, mm. I could talk about that for hours too because it was like, it like blew my mind. Because I was there, I was like, this is, this is bullshit. <laughs> that's what I was oh, thinking. Yeah. I'd love to know. I'd love to know more. I, I don't know much about about Reiki or, or any of any of them. Well, things, I've had I, Reiki done a couple times, but the, the, I think the reason why it worked that one time on me was because my practitioner, we were very close at the time. He was a friend. I was going through a divorce. Um, I was teaching his kids and he did a whole body work. So massage session to the point where I was crying on the table. Everything in my body was open and vulnerable. And then the last thing he did was he hovered his hand over my heart and like, I felt like, you know, those movies where they, you know, when Harry Potter, like Voldemort comes out of him at the very end of <laughs> yeah. like the fifth movie or whatever, <laughs> that is how it felt. And, and then tears, like everything just pouring out of me. And then he runs out the door and tries to get my energy off of him. 
Like, it's wow. tr- right. Cause it's just toxic, you know, like pain and, and sadness and whatever. So that is my only experience with Reiki that was successful. And then, but with my, with my body worker who I've had very many successful uh, sessions with him, he's like, your mm-hmm. uterus is a little bit scar tissue. There's a little scar tissue here underneath your belly button. It's pulling everything on the right side and the actual joint of the femoral the femoral head is pulling out. So it put, I mean, I mean, it makes sense. I, yeah, I, I, it totally makes sense. Right. And then the question is how do you get to all that? Right. So right. what he does, he does all the, the, um, tissue work first. So he gets to the point like 75% through the session where he's got his hands on the outside of my right hip. It feels like his thumb is inside of my hip on the spot that hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's lighting up my ankle. Oh, strange! So it's 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 basically like the acupuncture from a different from a different angle because you know it's all nervous system work, right? Yeah. Okay, so he finishes. I go home. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Blah blah blah. My period started that morning. Wow. The morning before the session, though. So the period was already here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Already here. But in yeah. the last, what day is it? It's Friday. My periods are usually three days and really late. I'm having the heaviest period I have had in memory. I think he flushed out my uterus. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like kind of like a release, almost like a cleansing. Yes. Like, almost like things just shifted back to where they were supposed, supposed to, to be. be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I And then of course I find out I, I told you earlier that I have two abnormalities on my on my um my hip X-ray. So there's a lot yep. going on in there. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like my period, I use a diva cup so yeah. you can see what exactly is coming out. It's not dried up in a tampon. So right, I right. pull it out the next morning after he worked on me, and it's dark and it's chunks. Oh man. I was like, what <laughs> is happening? And it continues for three days. Yeah, because I mean, usually that doesn't usually that doesn't feel good when when you're like, oh shit, like what what is coming out of my body? <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not usually like, oh, this is cleansing and amazing. <laughs> yeah, like I need to ask him if he like consciously gave me a a, a uterine like cleanse because First of all, do you even know how to do that? And second of all, did you do it purposefully? You know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's kind of like a natural, uh, like a occurrence that happens when, like I said, when things like move back to where yeah. they're supposed to be. Like, like, like going back to be back. I remember when I did one of my spinning babies workshops, the, the instructor said, you know, if you, if you give it space, if you give your baby space, generally they'll go where they're supposed to do. So I wonder if like you, you were just, he opened that space so that your body could start kind of going back to yeah. what it's supposed to be. I mean, I you know, we are still physical bodies and these like little veins and, and pathways, if there's a kink in the pathway, you know, if there's a kink in your small intestine, you know, like it will create a physical blockage. So whatever was blocking whatever in there. Anyways, so my last part of the story is hilarious because this guy, his name is Dr. Tim. (laughs) He doesn't advertise because he doesn't need to, right? So I'm always like, why is it so hard to get an appointment with this guy? Because my hips started giving me trouble in like August and my appointment was for October 19th. 
Oh yeah. That's, that's a long wait. That's a long wait because I'm like, okay, if you're a chiropractor, usually if something's out of place, you need to go the next day. So I have another chiropractor I go into that I can actually get into like quickly. So like, I was like, so I'm sitting in the waiting room waiting for this appointment that hasn't happened yet. And like Jane Lynch, you know, the actress, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm in LA, right? It's not that weird to see celebrities, but walks out of his room, my doctor's room and tries to make her next appointment. And she can't even get in till December. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so then you maybe not, don't feel so bad. No, I didn't. I was like, okay, she, he treats everybody equally. This is amazing. Right. <laughs> I was really, I, I was like, my mind was blown. My uterus is empty. And so, and how did you feel? Like, how were you feeling? Okay, so the thing is, I still have some muscles around, like still freaking out a little bit, but it's, it's like- 75% less painful. So wow. I feel like there is probably something going on more and I have to find out. So I'm going to go to the ortho in two weeks and find out what type of abnormality I have on this x-ray because it's x-ray. It's not MRI. Right. So it's like, is there a, is there a hairline fracture in there that I don't know well, about? You know? So they're, they're just waiting to, for this appointment to just tell you what they saw on the x-ray? Yeah, because I had the primary order the right. x-ray and then she's not yeah. she's not telling me what the abnormality is because it's beyond her scope. Right. Oh, that's that's hard. That's hard. You'd think that someone would just be able to call you and be like, this is what? Well, they told me stuff. one of the things, but the it's not the thing that I'm worried about. It's like, it's like there's a little bit of like a congenital thing there. Like I learned yeah. like 10 years ago that I have uh, like a congenital fused um what's it called? Uh, one of my bones in the spine, my vertebrae. Okay. So it was something like that, where it's like, this has been there forever and you just didn't know. And then the other one's like, okay, something's wrong in there. So it's a, it's a hairline fracture or whatever. And meanwhile, I go into the aerial studio two days ago and I'm like, I'm going to try something. So I try to do like a flamenco S wrap. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. Two for two. Yep. <laughs> and I swing my right leg around to get the fabric over my thighs and a hook. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Like, it just felt crazy. Like, oh, is it like, does it feel like that at the front, like at the front of your hip? Kind of in the front and inside, but it just felt like I had no range of motion. Like doing that, like 45 degree rendezvous, like I couldn't do it without it feeling like I was like grinding something. So like everybody in the world is going to know about my hip problems. Chrissy, <laughs> it's like, that's what happens when you have a fucking podcast. You just end up telling the world what your problem is every single day. So yeah, but I mean, it's a real problem in the industry. And I think that, yeah, you know, kind of hearing, hearing a, about it is, is really great. It's really, inform, you know, informative for, for everyone listening. Yeah. Well, also like probably every other person like you and me, I'm a toddler mom and I work from home and I teach and I perform. So that means eight hours a day, I'm sitting at my computer and then two hours a day, I'm trying to be superwoman up on the silks. Yeah. And then the rest of the time I'm picking up my toddler and I'm really in bad posture because I'm picking up a 25 year old or 20, 25 year old, 20 pound child. So like right. none of this bodes well. Yeah. Yeah. I find too, after, after being, you know, after being a mom all day and kind of taking care of all of that, there, there's some nights that I'm like, oh, I like do not, I just don't have the energy to go teach tonight. Like, I can't believe that I'm going to go t- 
teach two classes right now and that I'm, that I'm going to have to be awake to drive home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And on Fridays, so for me, since I'm West coast, it's only 4.15, right? So I start teaching at seven. Yep. Okay. Right. So I'm just like, but it's always fine when I get there. But very recently I have not been going up in the air because my hip is just like not happy. So I'm going to find out what's going on. Listeners, I know you're on the edge of your seats (laughs) 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 to know what the fuck is going on in my hip. Uh, But hopefully it'll be something that I can just go to some PT and, and, and like, just know, cause once the PT tells me what to do, it's like, I'm off to the races. I'm like, oh, okay. I have to straighten this, loosen that blah, blah, blah. I can do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, PT, I mean, PT can do, do amazing things. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hope it's, I hope it's something like that. Either, either way you get to at least find out what, what it is. And they can say this, this is why you're feeling pain. And then once you have the answer of why you're feeling it, then you can start working on solutions. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but pandemic, I, I stopped seeing all my practitioners. I stopped seeing Dr. Tim, my myofascial release person. I stopped seeing my dentist, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Same. Yep. I didn't, I didn't see anyone. I mean, I didn't even go to the, you know, a doctor. Yeah. I mean, I, I was basically at home taking care of my plants. Yeah. (laughs) And my kids. Yeah. And dude, I haven't even gone to my, I need to get a mammogram this year. I need to get a pap smear. I haven't gotten a pap smear. I haven't seen my OBGYN since I had my baby. That's two years ago. This is really bad. Yeah. That's really bad. This, I, I, this next part, I, I would like to not be in the, in the thing. Um, so I actually just got, I just got a boob job in June. Oh, <laughs> because so, your skin was just like, not the same. They, I mean, they were just empty. It was just, it just looked like empty skin attached to my chest. I was like, I breastfed two babies for 16 months each and they, it was just empty skin. And then it was, and it was hard, like finding a sports bra, like when I was upside down, because there was no tissue to like hold my boobs in place. Mm. When I would go upside down, I constantly was like biting my nipples and skin, just like falling out. Of oh whatever I man. Doing. Oh, it was like really. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I need, I just want boobs. I forget why I, I feel like I like brought it up for a reason. You were just saying something before. Seeing a doctor catching up with all your appointments. Mm-hmm. I just, I haven't gotten a pap smear. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I need to. So now that I have, okay. So the mammogram, because now I guess like for the first year, I'm supposed to get one like every year for the first two years. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to go get a mammogram and they're going to like smash my implants. <laughs> Cause everyone says that it, who's gotten them has said that they, they smush them so hard. So I'm nervous. They're going to like pop or something. <laughs> Wow. (laughs) My boobs are so small that I always go and I'm just like, how are you guys even going to get these things under, like in between the glass? (laughs) Like, I'm so confused about that. Like I'm an A cup. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, my boobs are not that different after feeding my baby for 18 to 16, 17, 18 months, because I basically had nothing there in the first place, but they're not super skin. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, because when I was nursing, I was like, a D. And then when I stopped, it was like, I went down to like a very, very small B, but it's just because there was like skin in my bra. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't even like tissue. Oh, I see. 
You know what I mean? There wasn't even like, it wasn't even like breast tissue. It was just like, if I leaned forward, it was like wrinkly, (laughs) you know? No, I get it. I get it. And you're just like, I swear I'm still a sexy human, but these boobs aren't, yeah, not liking it. Yeah. I just felt, I just felt like my clothes didn't fit me right anymore. And I was like uncomfortable in like a bathing suit. I've constantly felt like my nipples were going to fall out or something. And yeah. So I just, I was just like, so um, when did you get that surgery? So June 29th. Okay. So you're completely recovered then. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I'm back. I'm starting to get back into Well, cause I had to take six weeks off, um, of like actually doing aerial. I was still coaching. I started coaching again at like four weeks, but I did a lot of like floor demoing kind of like, Oh, like rolling yeah, around the, on the mat wrapped in the fabric. <laughs> the, the running joke, like I, I don't demo barely at all anyway. So (laughs) I barely demo. I barely demo because also I've learned that like, if I demo once, it's not even enough for them. And if that's, and if that's all I'm willing to do and that's not enough for them, like here's a video. So that's what I do a lot. And also it helps. I don't know if you know the name Joe Pinzone. I don't. Okay. So he's one of the aerialists out here and he's like ultra, like he, he's kind of like, he's been in it for a long time, mm-hmm. was performing for years before I even started, whatever. We're the same age. Yep. He also works in my studio and he doesn't demo even more than I do. Yeah. So that makes it even more okay. You know what though? Like, <laughs> because I, some of the best coaches that I've ever had yes. are not training anymore at, at all. Like they, they don't even, they don't even train or perform or do anything. And they're some of the, the most, amazing, amazing coaches I've ever had. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, oh my God. I love this podcast. This episode is going to be really fun for the listeners. Chrissy. You know what? With, I feel like this, like, you know, body changing things that happens after breastfeeding, like you can totally leave the boobs thing in there. I mean, like, it's not (laughs) like, if you look at a picture of me like six months ago, and then you look at a picture of me now, like on my social media, like you can tell it's not a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, also I have to say two things. I don't know about your friends, but my friends who aren't into Ariel and aren't into the subject aren't going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, I mean like my, my friends will, because they're going to be like, oh my God, that's so cool. You were on a podcast. I can't wait to listen. Right. (laughs) Whereas my friends are, I'm like, they do not give a shit. Like I can't get my friends to listen to any of my stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Because in LA, you spit on a person and there's a 50% chance they have a podcast. (laughs) Right. You know, it's like a different world. But the other thing is what I love about your story is that it's so fucking real. It's a real thing. Your skin was like, had nothing left in it. Yeah. And you didn't feel like walking around like that because you had given your children your boobs, basically. Yeah. For, yeah. For a long time. <laughs> well, you like, you know, we hand our bodies over to these babies and men and everything. And it's like, I want some back for myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I felt. And, and, um, you know, I think a lot of people, because we tend to be so general, generally, you know, athletic and, and a lot of, um, a lot of aerialists are, you know, in, in really good shape that, people think that like, oh, when you, when you have babies, like, oh, your body must not, you know, change that much. Um, and, and it, it does. (laughs) There, there are a lot of changes and weird Mm -hmm. things that still happen to your body, no matter, you know, how 
well you eat when you're pregnant or how well you take care of yourself afterwards. And, and, um, and it's just, I think it's just important to be really, really patient with yourself. And, um, I just remember after I had both kids, I, I consciously had to be like, I'm, I I need to give myself time. Like, I'm not going to go back into the aerial studio and be able to do the things that I could a year ago. And, and I really found it within myself to, to truly be okay with that. Um, and, and I think that that was really helpful for me. And I was just like, it's going to, it's going to take as long as it takes. It's just going to take as long as it takes. And I just need to take care of myself and make sure that I'm, you know, um, eating enough good food and drinking enough water to be able to make milk for my baby and that I'm giving my body time to heal so that I don't get, um, you know, infections and that things kind of take time to go back to where they're supposed to. And, um, and I, and I thought that that was, that was pretty important. And then, and then something that did always make me mad is like when people would, and I don't know if you found this, I, I hear, I hear this a lot from women when they're, um, in the early days of postpartum that they get those messages from people being like, Oh, do you want to get, you know, your pre baby body back and take this shake and use this wrap and, <laughs> and do all that stuff. And I just wanted to be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like I'm, I'm a hormone, like I just got this huge hormone dump and I'm just trying to learn how to be a mom and take care of my body and take care of myself. And you're like, have these unrealistic expectations. And, um, yeah. And I think that keeping the expectations realistic is, is pretty, is pretty important. I mean, especially when I'm so hormonal, like anybody tell me what to do. It's the worst. Like. You were talking about earlier how you just, you know, like you don't like somebody telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. It's like women in general and then women that I know and that have this thing in common, like don't fucking tell me what to do. Yeah. Nobody, nobody, like don't tell me at which pace I should be doing something. Like even the comments of like, it's either, oh, you bounce back so quick or the opposite. And I'm just like, why are you making comments on my body? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, uh, the only thing I yeah. just wanted to hear, I just wanted to be like, you're doing a good job. Like with, with whatever I was doing like that, that was the best thing to hear. It was just like, just being like, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And that, and that was just really nice. <laughs> People should just learn the word warrior and use it. You're a warrior. I can't believe it. How much you're a warrior because it just makes you feel like you're strong and that's it. Put, put a button on the end of it whatever. I hate people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's not true. I love people, but the people who do that, I hate. So, um, see Chrissy, you were nervous before, but as I had said, it's so easy. Yeah. I feel pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm, my palms are sweating (laughs) a little bit. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's wonderful. And Thanks so much to Chrissy for joining me on the pod today. Had so much fun talking to you. If you go to the show notes, check there for the mini course from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. I'd love to be your virtual teacher. 
And uh, thanks to Asa Watkins for music and post-production. If you would honor me with a comment anywhere you get your podcast, I really want to hear from you guys. And thanks for being here. This is the Expecting Aerialist Podcast. Thank you.